Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirrabbilalamin. Wassalatu wassalamu ala ashrafil anbiya'i wal mursali nabiyina Muhammad. Wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Amma ba'd. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Allahumma anfa'na bima alamtana wa'alimna ma yanfa'una. Warzuqna ilman tanfa'una bih. Amin ya rabbal alamin. Alhamdulillah. Thumma alhamdulillah. Um, we're continuing again Fiqhul Asma'i Sorry Our Bulughul Maram Kitabul Salah um, We are busy with the chapter of Sifatul Salah The description of the Salah um, I think the last hadith we covered Was the hadith One of the adhkar after the Salah Which was Allahumma la ulailah illallah wahdahu la sharika lah Lahu al-mulk wa lahu al-hamdahu ala kulli shayin qadir اللهم لا مانع لما أعطيت ولا معطي لما منعت ولا ينفع الجد منك الجد It was the last hadith that we covered So as we can see we basically completed majority of the salah and we are busy with some of the adhkar that are to be done at the end of the salah or after the salah So we're continuing on from there insha'Allah and the first hadith for the evening reads from Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas radiallahu anhu أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم كان يتعوذ بهن دبر كل صلاة وكل صلاة سعد بن أبي وقاص رضي الله عنه يسيد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم would seek refuge in these things at the end or after every salah at the end or after every salah سعد سعد بن أبي وقاص and so he used to say, so we've, firstly we've covered a different hadith, right? We, we, we said that the Prophet is to seek refuge in Allah from four things, right? At the end of every salah. Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min adhabi jahannam, wa min adhabi al-qabr, wa min fitnati al-mahya wal-mamat, wa min sharri fitnati al-masihi al-dajjal. We've discussed that one already, right? We said, according to certain ulama, that one is fard. Certain scholars had the opinion that dhikr there is a fart to recite in the, in the fart salahs. Whereas others said it's not a fart, but that just shows the importance of that particular one. Okay? This one over here, Sa'ad says, he used to seek refuge through these things or, or, or of these things at the end of every salah. And then he mentions the dua that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa used to make. He used to say, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-bukhl wa a'udhu bika min al-jubn وَأَعُوذُ بِكَ مِنْ أَنْ أُرَدَّ إِلَىٰ أَرْضَ لِلْعُمُرِ وَأَعُوذُ بِكَ مِنْ فِتْنَةِ الدُّنْيَا وَأَعُوذُ بِكَ مِنْ عَذَابِ الْقَبْرِ This hadith is in Sahih al-Bukhari. رواه al-Bukhari. So, نعم. The first issue is the issue of Bukhul. اللهم إني أعوذ بك من البخل. Right? What does Bukhul mean? Bukhul basically translates as miserliness. Right? A person who is a miser is a bakhil. Someone who is stingy is a bakhil. Right? So this is the issue of bukhul. So he used to say, Oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from miserliness. Min al-bukhul. Ibn Uthaymin, rahimahullah, explains what's bukhul. He says, It's when a person is supposed to give towards something, but he does not give. And he says it could be in terms of wealth, it could be in terms of knowledge or even anything else that's beneficial. Where you are incumbent or supposed to basically give. Let's say as a father or as a husband, you are supposed to spend on your household. You're supposed to spend on your, your wife and your family. Nafaqa and so forth. But he does not do this. He withholds and he's stingy and he's this and he's always complaining. Right? It's different if he's bankrupt. It's different if he's got absolutely nothing. He's got some wealth, but he's too stingy to spend. Where he's supposed to spend. Understand? This is Bukhul. A person of knowledge, supposed to be teaching, supposed to be spreading knowledge, he does not do that. Questions are asked, he refrains from ask, answering, he refrains from, you know, spreading knowledge where he's supposed to be spreading knowledge. This is also a type of Bukhul. Miseriness regarding his knowledge. And so forth. So again, understand the definition that we've given. The definition is, he withholds from that which way he is supposed to be spending. 
right? And this makes the most sense when, it, when we speak about wealth, especially when it comes to a husband and a father and so forth, or even a child, his mother or father becomes old. The same can apply. It's, now, it's upon him to support them, but he may be a miser, and he, he does not fulfill what he's supposed to fulfill. And we find many cases like this today. To, uh, just today I had two cases. Well, not, I won't, not, I'm not on the case, but I've heard of two cases. Similar, or we could say, to do with Bukhul. The one is, couples divorced, but there's a child. Right? So the agreement, wherever it came from, is that they have to support the child 50-50. So if the child's, the cost of the child's, you know, monthly uh, the bill, monthly bill is, for example, 5,000 rand. Each one's supposed to give 2,500 rand. But the father refuses to give anything towards it. And so the mother's already struggling to make ends work. She's going to a lawyer now to do this and do that, etc. This is Bukhul. This is my, he's supposed to spend, that's his own child. But he doesn't spend, for whatever reason. It, that's yes, Sharia wise, but they've got their own agreement. This is in the specific case. Okay? Um, the other case is couples married for not too long. But the husband, he works, but his salary is unknown. And he doesn't want to spend on almost anything. And he claims he only earns a small amount of money. And the wife is basically running the whole house. The whole house she's basically running. She has to buy the groceries, she pays the rent, everything. So where is his money going? Allah knows best. How much does he actually earn? He refuses to actually make it clear. But there's an indication that he earns more than what he initially said that he earns. This is Bukhul. Where's what's he doing with the money? Allah Alam. You know? This people are that question you just said there. You know, Alhamdulillah, you asked the question. Now, you, I would say that. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. That's a good sign, inshallah, for you. Because that, we're supposed to think like that. You know? But the reality is what's happening. You know, our people are, Wallahu musta'an, really. This is just today that I found out, you know, that I know these two cases. This is clear examples of Bukhun. So the Prophet he made sure that we seek refuge from this trait. And this characteristic. In fact, in another hadith, he said, the miser is the one who, whom I mentioned in front of him, but he's not, he does not send any salawat upon me. This is, this is now a specific definition. So any person who hears the Prophet or the name of the Prophet and he refuses to say sallallahu alayhi wa sallam or alayhi salatu wa salam or any type of sending peace and, and rahmah and so forth upon the Prophet this person is also considered as a miser. Right? Because he's supposed to be sending but he doesn't. This is a sign of a miser. Wallahu musta'an. Wa'a'udhu bika minal jubin. Wa'a'udhu bika minal jubin. And I seek refuge in you, O Allah, from jubin. What's jubin? Any idea? From um, cowardly behavior. Right? What's the word? Cowardice. Um, so, Bukhul we said was, when you are supposed to spend and you refuse to spend, out of miserliness. A coward is someone who's got no bravery. He's supposed to be there physically or he's supposed to stand up and speak up where he's supposed to speak up or fight where he's supposed to fight or defend himself and his family where he's supposed to defend himself and his family. But he's a coward and he's unable to do this. This is Jubin. So both is very similar. Both is where you're supposed to fulfill something but you, the person refuses to do it. Either because he's a miser or because he's a coward. You understand? So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he sought refuge in Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala from both of these evil traits. These lowly, you know, character flaws that, that some people have. Okay? Um, and then Ibn Uthaymin he says 
that if a person gives what he's supposed to give, so he fulfills his nafaka, supports his family, and then he's also a person who saves money on the side, so he doesn't like to spend beyond what he's supposed to spend. Can we classify this as bukhul or not? This will not be bukhul. Right? He gives what he's supposed to give. The, the necessities and what's important, what they need, is fulfilled. He pays the school fees, he makes sure, you know, whatever is there that, that they need, food, roof over the head, clothing, etc., they looked after. But beyond that, he doesn't spoil them. Beyond that, he doesn't overspend. Beyond that, he's still a person who he looks after his wealth. This is not bukhul. Right? This is the point that the Sheikh is trying to make. He says, this is not Bukhul. Bukhul is where he's supposed to spend on certain issues, but he refuses <coughs> to spend. That is Bukhul. And then the Sheikh, he goes into detail on this issue, and he says, this is very important because, he says, some men have become like women in how they, they just spend freely. Whether it's upon themselves, whether it's upon their families. And the Sheikh basically says that we shouldn't just be spending for no need. We should not just be spending wealth and money for no need. And you buy this one, that, and this one, this gift, and this one, this. There's a time and place, right? Gifts has its, has its time, has its place. The child earned something, they achieved something. It's Eid, and so forth. The gifts are good. But every now and then, every week, you come in with a new present. Every week, you come in with a new this. Every week, it's a new accessory for the wife or for me or for, for her and for this child and for that child. This Ibn Uthaymin says is actually like a, a wasting money. This is the Sheikh says is what? It's closer to wasting money than uh, being a person who, who basically saves his wealth. Right? Because um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Kulu washrabu wa la tusrifu. And eat and drink, but do not, do not waste. Do not be excessive. Do not be excessive. Right? And this is important that we try to, to, to you know, be in the middle. That we are not bakhil, on the one hand, that we, where we're supposed to spend, we, we withhold. That's bakhil, that, that is a problem. Nor are we of the musrifin, the people who are extravagant, or in, you know, they, they waste their wealth. They buy all type of things that's beyond what they need. And far beyond what's even required or what they will even use. You buy something and you're going to make use of it, it's there for some benefit, inshallah, no problem. But buying everything that looks good, every item that's flashy, every item that looks, that, that's, you know, the glittering eye, the new glittering issue, oh, get that, looks good, get this, it looks good, get this, it looks good, this is a problem. This is a problem, this is where we need to, you know, calm down and, and save your money. We don't waste the money there. You can rather invest the money somewhere else, spend it in the path of Allah Azza wa and so forth. The next dua or next part of the dua is وَأَعُوذُ بِكَ مِنْ أَنْ أُرَدَّ إِلَىٰ أَرْضَ لِلْأُمُرِ And I seek refuge in you from going back to weakness in old age. From returning back to that weakness in age. That weakness in, in age. Which basically, obviously, applies to the old person. So, some people, when they get old, they go backwards in life. Right? They go backwards. They become like children again. This happens to certain people, not to all people. Other people, their minds are fresh. They are sharp. Like they've ever been. You look at some of the scholars today, 80, 90 years old. They're still sitting in front of a huge crowd and teaching books and teaching hadith. Teaching from the head. Narrating hadith. Narrators of hadith. Quoting it off the top of the head. Never mind, you know, hifz of Quran is one thing that many people can do, alhamdulillah. But there's certain, you know, levels that people reach. Shaykh Abdul Musa al-Abbad, for example, one of the muhadithin in Medina, he sits and he teaches no books. People read to him. They, will, they won't read the hadith like we read the hadith now. You see, we read the hadith. And what did I say? From Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas. 
who said that the Prophet did this. Right? That's all I did. What they do is they go through the whole chain of narration. Do you understand? This year, the whole chain has been removed. Because we don't go through the chain. Because the chain is beyond what we need to be focusing on in terms of the level of this class. Do you understand? If you're going to go sit in a hadith classroom, you're going to start from the, the bottom of the chain and go all the way up. So if we say this hadith is in Bukhari, that means Bukhari, how did Bukhari document this hadith? He documented it from one of his teachers. Right? Who got it from one of his teachers. From one of his teachers. From one of the Tabi'een, from one of the Sahaba, from the Prophet that the whole list we, we took out. We only went to the Sahabi and the Prophet But the scholars of Hadith will go from the bottom. Okay, so who was Bukhari's teacher? This is who he is. And who was his teacher? This is who he is. And then there's detail about each and every one of them. Could they have actually learned the Hadith from each other? Is it possible? Did they live in the same time? What was his condition? Was he a weak narrator? What was his hifd like? What was his character like? Every single aspect is then studied. So, and even if you read those books, right, it doesn't give you the old person's name. It will just say, from Muhammad, who narrated from Sufyan, who narrated from Abdullah, who narrated from so-and-so, who narrated from so-and-so. Now, if a normal person like you and me open up the book, you will think, who is Sufyan? And which Sufyan is this? And which Abdullah is this? And which, and which, and which, it just gives you the name. Do you understand? So what Shaykh Abdul Muhsin does is, he sits there and they read the hadith to him. And he says, Haddathani Bukhari, who narrated from Muhammad, and he will stop. So Muhammad in this case is Muhammad ibn Ismail, Muhammad ibn this one, ibn this one, ibn this one, ibn this one. This is from his head. And then the, 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 the reader will carry on and he will say, and he narrated from Sufyan. And then the Shaykh will stop him and say, Sufyan in this Narration here refers to Sufyan al-Thawri and not Sufyan ibn Uyayna because the one was lived in this city and the one lived in that city and when Bukhari was there, he narrated from this one and therefore he reached. This is from the top of the Shaykh's head. Thousands of hadith. And each hadith has many narrators. So how many narrators is in his head? Thousands of narrators. In the Shaykh's head. Knows exactly which one is who. What's their biography? Where they come from? What's their name? I promise you, if I give you 20 names to memorize and I come back next week, you won't know it. I promise you that. If I give you 50 names and I give you three weeks, most likely you won't know it. Because you're going to sit there and you're going to think, Muhammad ibn Ismail, this one is Ismail ibn Muhammad, and that one is Abdullah ibn this, and that one is... After 10 names, you're really confused. Because it's all similar names. And the sign of this one, sign of this one, sign of this one. It's not like you memorize in Ramulajir, Walid Osman, and Qasim so and so, and Khalid so and so. No. Easy, you know, the surnames make things simple, simple man. But once the names come, sign of this one, sign of this one, sign of this one, it all becomes a, a big mix up in the student's head. But after years of sitting with it, these people have mastered this man. So the Sheikh he sits in his wheelchair, he's lost his sight already. But his mind is fresh. His mind is sharper than yours, mine and yours. So when the reader reads, he stops the reader and he says, that one is Abdullah ibn this, ibn this, ibn this, ibn this. So the student got to sit down and write in the book, who's Abdullah? And then the sh- and, and off the top of his head, he's almost 90 years old. And it's still going on. This is the, the reality that you get people like that and then you get people again who, at the age of 60, they're starting to lose it. At the age of 60, they started to forget. At the age of 65, they can't remember except so far back. Do you understand? This is the reality. Not in only in ours, all over the world. This is insane. This is how insane is, that Allah created us. Yeah, the Prophet makes dua that we don't become like this. That Allah protects him from this. And this is him, what should we not be doing? You understand? So firstly, we should be making dua. Allah, I don't want to become like that. I don't want to become old when I'm going to become dependent on others. 
who are going to become weak or senile or like this. This is a very important dua to make. Very important dua that we make. Um, <clears throat> and the Sheikh mentions that if you take a child who's dependent on others, they can't think for themselves. It's not a problem for people because they understand it's a child. They treat them like a child. They have patience because they also know that that child's going to grow up. But when it comes to an old person, it's different. The level of sabr you need is so much more. So much more. And that person is not completely like a child. In certain ways, perhaps. In other ways, they're still at their senses. To a degree, in certain ways. So what happens is, they still got their own ideas and ways and thoughts. And they're still going to say things and they're still going to, you know, want certain things. And they're still going to come with their own ideas. This is how it happens. You understand? They're not a child who's just going to sit there and cry and laugh and then go sleep. It's different. It's, it's a bigger test. For them and for the family and for those around them. So this is why Rasulullah made dua that Allah protects him from this. Because it's a fitna, it's a test. It's not a, I won't say it's a punishment, it's not a punishment, but it's a test. You understand? Um, and of course, with the bigger the test, the bigger the reward. The bigger the test, the bigger the person's reward is when he has sabr upon that bala, upon that test. So, again, it's incumbent upon us. We should try to make this dua. أعوذ بك من أن أرد إلى أرذل العمر That we don't return back to that state where we are weak. Where our minds are weak or lost and so forth. Allah Musta'an. وأعوذ بك من فتنة الدنيا is the next part. وأعوذ بك من فتنة الدنيا And I seek refuge in you from the trials and tribulations of this dunya. Of this dunya. And we explained this previously. We said that the trials of this dunya is of two types. It's either one's shahwa or one's shubha. Shahwa means your, 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 your desires, your lusts. This is the fitna of the dunya. Right? It can also mean where you prefer your own hawa, your own inclinations over what the Quran and Sunnah has come with. This is also fulfilling your shahwa. So shahwa could either mean you're fulfilling your physical lusts. That's one thing. But it can also mean preferring your desires over the Qur'an and the Sunnah. So for a person, for example, he knows what's right and wrong. But he does whatever he wants. He fulfills his desires. He knows looking at certain things is haram. Does it stop him? He continues. This is following his shahwa. He knows something is forbidden. He continues doing that thing. This is following his shahwa. It's a fitna. It's a test. It's a trial. Because many times, our inclination is towards something that's not permissible. Or we, something that we're accustomed to, something that we incline towards, that we desire. Hence, it becomes a fitna for you. Looking at haram can become a fitna for certain people. Speaking about haram, fitna for certain people. You understand? Investing, dealing in haram becomes a fitna for certain people. That's a test. That's a test to see what are you going to prefer. You prefer the legislation of Allah Azza wa Jal or are you going to prefer you? your own desire, your own inclination? So it's a fitna of one's shahwa, which is your desires. Or your fitna can be one of a shubha, which is a, a misconception, a, a misunderstanding, or a lack of knowledge. And this can come either because a person is jahil, he's ignorant, he hasn't studied, so he's got a major misconception about the deen of Allah. He's got a misconception in the way he understands aqidah and tawheed and so forth. Important matters. This becomes a fitna for him. So, the Sheikh says, could be from lots of bid'ah or lots of evil thoughts or various things can lead a person down this path. But the point here is to seek refuge from the fitna of this dunya. And the fitna of this dunya is of two types. It's either a misconception and a, conf a confusion that a person has in his mind. So he's upon misguidance. Or it's a shahwa. Where it's, it's, it's a problem with his desires. 
where he's fulfilling his desires over that of, or before that of the, before that of the Sharia. And I seek refuge in you from the torments of the grave. We've spoken about this um, in detail. We've given the evidences for that from the Quran and the Sunnah. And we also see it applies to the, the Barzakh. That this is what is meant by the Qabr, is, 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 is what happens in the next life. Yani in the Barzakh, which is before the Akhirah. Hence, whether a person is buried or not, he will still experience the Adab of the Qabr. Like a person we said on a ship or a boat, if he dies, what happens to him? He gets kafan and he's thrown overboard. He's not in the Qabr. According to the definition of a grave, he's not buried. Right? A person who dies in a fire, he won't be buried. His body's gone. Does this mean he's safe from the Adab al Qabr? It doesn't mean this. Right? In fact, there's a narration where a man, he passed away, and he told his children to cremate his body. Why did he do this? No. He was an ignorant man. So he said to the kids, cremate my body so that Allah cannot punish me. So that Allah cannot punish me. His idea was, if I'm going to be buried, this is where the punishment is going to take place. And this is most, if my body is gone, Allah won't punish me, Allah won't be able to punish me. So that in and of itself is a statement of disbelief. It's a statement of kufr, right? To say Allah cannot do that is kufr. You understand? But yet, Allah forgave him. The hadith mentions Allah forgave him. Why? Because he was a jahil. He actually feared Allah. He actually, you know, he believed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But he said that out of pure ignorance. He just didn't know any better. Purely. Do you understand this narration? So what certain scholars derive from this is something called Udr bil Jahal. Where you give a person an excuse due to his ignorance. So like for example, you see someone worshipping the grave. Someone calling upon the Prophet Calling upon so and so. What he's doing is shirk. It's kufr. No doubt. The can we say he's a kafir and a mushrik? Some ulama would say we can give him the excuse of being an ignoramus. Just like that man was given the excuse by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Do you understand? Other ulama say there's no such thing as Udhubi Jahan. The matters of shirk and tawheed, if you don't know that, then you're not a Muslim in the first place. Then you're a mushrik, you're not a Muslim. That's the view of certain ulama. Allah knows best. That's an issue on its own. The point here is, whether you're burnt, whether you're in the ground, whether you're in the water, you're still going to get adab al-qabr if it's coming to you. Because it happens in the barzakh, which is the, the, the life between this life and the akhirah. And we don't know much about it, but it will happen over there. Um, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So the main benefit of this hadith that the sheikh mentions is, is that the importance of this dua. It's an important dua wherein we are seeking refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from important matters, from issues that are of importance, like bukhl. I gave you certain more examples that I, I just heard of today of bukhl, right, of miseriness that's out there. Right, people too miserly to spend on their family, to spend on their children, their wives, their own homes that they live in, they don't want to spend on it. You understand? Jubin. Cowardice. People who are complete cowards. Talk a big game. When it's there, you need them, they're not there. When they need to be there for their families, they're not there. They need to be there for the deen of Allah, they're not there. They're cowards. This is something that's against bravery, the opposite of bravery. And of course, something that's frowned upon. What was the third one? Old age. We're going back to a bad state a person who goes back to being weak in his old age. The fourth one was the fitna of the dunya. And the fifth one was adab al-qabr. Right? The, the, the adab of the qabr. So all of those things are of utmost importance. If a person is saved from Jubin and Bukhl, that means he's a person who fulfills his wajibat in terms of spending. That means he's a person who's a brave man. He's not a coward. He's a, he's a man. He's a true man. 
or even a woman. Right? That means he's a person of upright character. If a person is saved in his old age, that gives him the better opportunity to make the most of his ending. As we spoke about those ulama who are fresh, they are there. Their minds are still strong. They have a better and an easier opportunity, I would say, to, to worship Allah Azza wa Jal, you know, in the best possible way. And if your person is saved from the fitna of this dunya, that means he's going to be successful in this dunya, and that will guarantee him success in the qabr and in the akhirah. You understand? So this is a very important shamil dua, all-inclusive dua that we should learn. And also, this, this dua is to be said at the end of the salah. What we mean by this is, after the salah. This specific dua should be said after the salah. Because there's one narration in At-Tirmidhi, where the Prophet raised his voice slightly when he made this dua, which means it could not have been before the taslim. The fact that he raised his voice means he did it after the salah. Hence, this is when this dua should be done. And if you do it before the taslim? No problem. No problem because that's a time for any dua. Right? But the best time for this dua we should say is after because that's when the Prophet did it. You understand? Before the taslim, you got the other one to say. That one is for what? Before the taslim. And there are others as well. We mentioned last week, Allahumma inni Allahumma. No, no. What was the one I mentioned last week? The dua of Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr requested a dua and the Prophet taught him the dua. And he taught him, what was the dua that he taught him to make? Allahumma inni zhalamtu nafsi zhulman kathiran wa la aghfiru zhunuba illa ant faghfir li maghfuratan min indik wa abhamni inna ka adal ghafur rahim. That was the one we discussed in the last lesson. Right? That's another one to be said before the taslim. For example, Okay, and I mentioned some others. I mentioned some others. Allah may now become an al maghrami for example. Allah seek refuge in you from major sin and from major debt, for example. That's one of the du'as. Um, and so forth, right? Tayyib. We move on to the next hadith, which is from Thawban, radiallahu anhu. Read from Thawban, radiallahu anhu. He said, Kana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama إذا صرف من صلاته استغفر ثلاثا وقال اللهم أنت السلام ومنك السلام تباركت يا ذا الجلال والإكرام رواه مسلم حديث مسلم. We spoken about this hadith before and this is a well known hadith and we all know this dikr alhamdulillah with advances that Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم when he completed the salah when he completed the salah he would say three times Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah. So firstly, the hadith doesn't actually say that it says he used to seek forgiveness three times. He used to seek forgiveness three times. Okay? But what's the how do we seek forgiveness? Imam Az-Zuhri was asked this question, how do we say, or how do we do istighfar three times? And he said, you should say, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah in that form, in that format. So, but if a person said, Allahumma ghfirli, Allahumma ghfirli, Allahumma ghfirli, technically it would still count. Technically it would still count, but we should, but should try to stick to Astaghfirullah. It would be best and Allah knows best. So you would say this, and what's the hikmah in this? What's the hikmah in saying, Oh Allah, I seek your forgiveness three times, at the end of the salah, after you've done the salah, the first thing that we say is Astaghfirullah three times. What's the hikmah in this? Okay, any error in the salah? Jayid, Ahsant, right? So that's what the next, I would say error. Error means we were a fix up, such to Sahawi or, you know, but any shortcoming of that worship. This is why we seek Allah's forgiveness after because none of our salah is going to be perfect. There's moments where we, we have a lapse in concentration or whatever. Right? Um, so this is the, the main hikmah. 
between uh, as to why we say astaghfirullah three times at the end of the salat well, ask Allah forgive us because we just worshipped you you're the best of worship but yet it wasn't up to standard yet there was weakness in it yet there was I mean sometimes our salah is probably on the verge of not being accepted because our mind is all over the show especially if in a state of stress and worry that thing that you're stressing about is on your mind. If it's exams, if it's work, if it's money, if it's this, whatever it is, that is all over your mind. And shaitan is all over you as well. Using that too, to disturb you and to distract you. This is how it works. This is special shayateen. Special shayateen that comes just for you when you're in the salah. Special shayateen. Khinzab, right? This is his name. Um, who comes... And that is the one who whispers to you in the salah specifically. Specifically. Because if shaitan cannot get you not to make salah, his first goal is try to get you not to make salah. If he fails in that, try to get you maybe to delay the salah. If he fails in that, okay, you're going to make salah now, start the salah. As soon as you start the salah, now he comes. Hey, that investment's not working out. Hey, this is not working out. Ugh, man, my wife again did this and she again... You know, was unnecessary for this. And then it was this child is again not listening. And then it was something to do with sports. And then it's something to do with the business. And then it's something to do with your mother. And then it's something to do with your father. And then it's something to do with your friend, your neighbor. He's never going to give you peace because his whole idea is to destroy or to take away from the value of your salah. The state of your salah. Right? This doesn't mean that we it's a losing battle. Shaitan has no authority over you. As the Quran says. And so of course what we do is we have our own weapons. It's a weapon. When this happens, if you feel you are being disturbed and distracted, you should again say, And the hadith says, spit dryly over your left shoulder three times. Spit a dry spit over your left shoulder three times. And we should believe this is going to work. You say, A'udhu Billahi Shaitan Rajeem, and you spit three times, and you focus. It's not to say that he's going to always overcome your salah. No. The more you focus in the salah, the more you train yourself to pray appropriately and better, the more you defeat the shaitan. The more you... Inna kayda shaitani kana da'ifa. The Quran says the plots of shaitan are weak. The plots and the prayers of shaitan, they are, they are weak. It's not strong. It can never be stronger than you and your belief and your iman. Allah has honored you over them. Allah is with you and not with them. You understand? So yes, the shaitan will come, but it's our duty to fight back. It's our duty to fight back. He's our enemy. Inna shaitan lakum mubin. As the Quran says, he's a clear enemy unto you. Fattakhidu'u'adu'a. Take and treat him as an enemy. He's not your friend. You don't open the door for him. You don't allow him in. You don't, you know, make it easy for him. You treat him like an enemy. You build a fortress. You build a wall. You have your troops. You have your weapons. Everything needs to be there to keep the enemy out. So we are supposed to take the means to protecting ourselves against the shaitan. And there are so many things. Abstaining from haram. Praying on time. Going to the masajid. Saying you are car daily. Morning, evening, etc. Reciting the Quran, etc. Right, and especially in the in the salah. So this is why we say astaghfirullah, because that salah is supposed to be something powerful. It's your daily connection with Allah Azza wa Jal. But yet, when even if we are making salah, many a times the salah is lacking. And so therefore, we need to ask Allah's forgiveness. Because that's the reality, it's lacking. It's supposed to be better than what it actually is, Wallahu Musta'an. Um, <clears throat> Allahumma anta as-salam means, oh Allah, you are as-salam. You are the perfect one. You are perfection. Salam yeah, means free from all weakness, and imperfection, and shortcoming, and defect, and so forth. You are the perfect one. As-salam. And from you comes all salam. From you is all salam. So from you comes all 
perfection or peace or safety and security. Right? That's the, the, the better translation in this case. So in the first instance, we are basically calling up or acknowledging Allah's name and attribute of being Salam. He's perfect and He's complete. When we say, وَمِنْكَ salam, We are now referring to the actions of Allah. That as you are the perfect one or the one that's free from, you know, weakness and so forth, keep us also safe. Keep us also free from weakness. Keep us also, you know, protect us and give us peace and give us safety and give us security. As you are the owner of salam, you are the salam, it can only come from you. It can only come from you. Tabarakta ya dal jalali wal ikram. Tabarakta means blessed are you. Right? Meaning every single thing about Allah Azza wa Jal is blessed. Anything that belongs to Allah or is that is attributed to Allah is blessed. It's Mubarak. The house of Allah are blessed. The houses of Allah are blessed. Especially the greatest house, the Kaaba, is blessed. Anything that is attributed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is blessed. Right? Um, and also when we say we take the name of Allah like Bismillah in the name of Allah. It brings barakah. It brings barakah, right? Before you eat, Bismillah, it brings barakah into your, your meal. You take wudu, Bismillah, that wudu is now complete. Without the basmala, it's incomplete. If you slaughter an animal and you don't take the name of Allah, what happens? It's haram. If you took the name of Allah, it's halal. Can you imagine the difference? You took the name of Allah, it becomes halal. You don't take the name of Allah, it becomes haram. That's the power of Allah. This is the blessings of Allah Azza wa Jal. Tabarakta. means you, O oh Allah, you are blessed. Everything about him is blessed. Ya dal jalali wal ikram. O the owner of grandeur and honor. Majesty, grandeur and, and honor. Right, we spoke about this name not too long ago. The end of our fiqh al-Asma'il husna we spoke about Yadal, or the name Dal Jalali wal Ikram. Like the owner of grandeur, greatness, and honor. Right? Here the Shaykh mentions that some people add Wa ta'alayta. Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam. Tabarakta wa ta'alayta. Have you heard this before? Tabarakta wa ta'alayta Yadal Jalali wal Ikram. Ta'alayta basically just means Tabarakta means you are blessed. Wata'alaita means you are exalted. And the most high, which is a good meaning, but it's not the sunnah thing to say. It's not the sunnah thing to say. Right? Um, so we should cut it out. Because it's not narrated in hadith. Tabarakta wa ta'alaita ajal al-kram. How does the others go? Sami'na wa ta'na. All of that is not narrated. So those things, cut it out. They have been added on later on. Cut them out. It's not part of the sunnah. It's not part of the of the sunnah. So astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. Allahumma anta salam, wa minka salam. Tabarak tadal jalali wa ikram. Khalas. Intahal amma. That's it. That's the best way to do it because that's how Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam did it. Understand? Leave out what ta'alayt. Leave out sami'na wa ata'na wa ghuranaka rabbana wa ilayka al-nasir. Leave it all out. Right? Um, there's another one, Allah wa salam, Fahayyina Rabbana bisalam. Fahayyina Rabbana bisalam. It's a beautiful meaning, but it's not narrated in the hadith. It's not authentic. So what, what do we say? Cut it out. You are changing the sunnah dhikr to something else. You cannot modify it. It's not that the dunya thing you can modify and make it better than what it is. That's wahi. It's the best. Leave it as it is. Right, so cut out all those additional um, wordings that have been added by, by latter-day scholars. طيب, the next hadith is narrated by Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu عن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال He narrates that Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم said من سبح لله ومن سبح الله دبر كل صلاة ثلاثا وثلاثين وحمد الله ثلاثا وثلاثين وكبر الله ثلاثا وثلاثين فتلك تسع وتسعون Whomsoever glorifies Allah at the end of every salah 33 times and praises Allah 33 times and kabbar Allah, magnifies Allah 33 times, that equals 99. That equals 99. 33, 33, 33 equals 
99. And then he says to complete the hundred. La ilaha illallah. Wahdahu la sharika lah. Lahu al-mulk wa lahu al-hamd. Ahu ala kulli shayin qadir. Ghufirat khatayahu wa in kanat mithla zabad al-bahri. Then his sins will be forgiven even if they are as much as the foam upon the ocean. His sins will be forgiven even if they are as much as the foam upon the ocean. Tayyip, the hadith is in um, Muslim. And in another narration it says, Anna takbira arba'un wa thalathun. In another narration it says, the takbir will be 34 times and not 33 times. And so that makes 100. 33, 33, 34 makes 100. Understand? So what we get here is there's two options basically. Subhanallah 33 times. Alhamdulillah 33 times. Allahu Akbar 33 times. And then La ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lah. Lahu al-mulkah, lahu alhamdulillah ala kulli shayin qareed for the 100. The second option is Subhanallah 33 times. Alhamdulillah 33 times. Allahu Akbar 34 times. Allahu Akbar, how many times? 34 times. And no, la ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lah. Because the hundred is done. Understand? In another narration, in another narration it says, Subhanallah, 25 times. 25 times. Allahu Akbar. Sorry. Alhamdulillah, 25 times. Allahu Akbar, 25 times. And then, la ilaha illallah. 25 times. See, this is, third, this is the third option now. Subhanallah, 25 times. Alhamdulillah, 25. Allahu Akbar, 25. And la ilaha illallah. Not wahda wa la Just la ilaha illallah. 25 times also makes a 100. That's another option also mentioned in hadith. You understand? So this is all regarding the, the adhkar after the salah. There's another narration. For those who are in a hari, not lazy, for those who are generally in a, in a hari, ten times. Subhanallah, ten times. Alhamdulillah, ten times. Allahu Akbar, ten times. And that's it. So it equals thirty only. Thirty only. This is for who? For people who are generally, you know what, you, you, you couldn't sit long, you, you were a bit hasty. You made the salah, you got up. Instead of doing no dhikr, at least say subhanallah. 10 times, Alhamdulillah 10 times, Allahu Akbar 10 times. It also counts as this dhikr over here. So we've given you four options. Am I right? Four options. The normal standard which everybody knows, 33 plus la ilaha illallah wahda wa la sharika la. 34, Allahu Akbar. Instead of wahda wa la sharika la, you say Allahu Akbar 34 times. 25 each. Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah, 25 times each. And then, the shortest version which is, Subhanallah, 10 times, Alhamdulillah, 10 times, Allahu Akbar, 10 times. Understand? What's the best way to do this? Chop and change. Chop and change. Right? The 10 times, I would say, keep that for the times when you are in a bit of a hari. Keep that for when? For those occasions when, you, when you're in a bit of a hurry, right? You, there wasn't time for you to make it handed. So as you're walking out, putting on your shoes, you, you did the subhanallah and alhamdulillah and 10 times each, alhamdulillah. The other three I would say, in normal times when you have time, chop and change between them. Sometimes this way, sometimes that way, sometimes this way. Understand? In this way you are acting upon more of the sunnah. All of the ahadith, you are now acting upon all of them, not only one of them. And so this is more virtuous, and this is better, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Tayyib. Um, Subhanallah, what does it mean? Okay, we translate it as glory be to Allah, or perfection belongs to Allah. Subhanallah basically means you are freeing Allah from any defect and weakness and shortcoming and aib and so forth. That's what subhanallah means. You are freeing Allah from, you are distancing Him from all of those things, which is not befitting for Him. Understand? So that's what, we, that's what, that's what subhanallah means. When we say perfection belongs to Him, those imperfections are not befitting unto Him. Understand? 
When we say Alhamdulillah, what do we say? All praise, thanks is due to Allah. Right? So now, on the first hand, what did we do? We freed Allah, we negated all those imperfections away from Him. On the second, the second dhikr, what do we say? We are affirming all those things for Him. He is the perfect one. He is the only one deserving of complete and perfect praise. You see how they balance each other out? On the one hand, you are saying Allah is he's free from those things, free from imperfections, He's perfect, His glory is unto Him. On the other hand, you are saying, Alhamdulillah, you're praising Him now. Because He's worthy of praise. Nobody else is completely worthy of praise. You understand the difference? Um, and of course, to say Allahu Akbar is to affirm the greatness of Allah, that Allah is greater and more powerful than anything. Right? He is greater than... Um, Anything and nothing can compare to him. Right? In fact, one of the hadith says that the seven heavens and all of the earths is in the hand of Ar-Rahman like a small mustard seed is in the hands of one of ours. A small mustard seed in one of our hands is that's like the seven heavens and the seven earths in the hand of Ar-Rahman. This is to give an idea. If all of creation was in the hand of Ar-Rahman, it would be like a small mustard seed that's in one of our hands. Like a little speck, a little dot, you know, that's it. This is Allahu Akbar. To him belongs, you know, complete perfection and grandeur. Um, طيب. لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له. We don't need to explain. We know what it means. Don't worry, worship, accept him. وحده him alone. لا شريك له. No partner unto him. له الملك وله الحمد. To him belongs the kingdom, the dominion, the sovereign. And he does whatever he wants. Right? There is nothing that's impossible for him um, to do. طيب. Another important issue on these adhkar is that there's also narrations that mention that instead of saying subhanallah, 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 33 times, alhamdulillah, 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 Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, Allah. The Prophet sometimes used to combine them. And he used to say it like this. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, la ilaha illallah, Allah Akbar. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, Allah Akbar. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, Allah Akbar. I said la ilaha illallah the first one. That's wrong. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, Allah Akbar. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, Allah Akbar. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, Allah Akbar. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, Allah Akbar. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah. Instead of saying it, Subhanallah, only 33 times, Alhamdulillah, only 33 times. Allahu Akbar, only 33. He used to say all three together as one. But in 33 times, so it comes to the same thing. So that, so this is, if I see if I counted one to be Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, but that's one. Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar, that's two. Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar, that's three. Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar, that's four. Like that. Up until 33. That's all. Because once you get your 33, that's already times 3. Yeah. Understand? Khalas, you don't have, you're not going to go all the way to 100. Just to 33 because technically that's already, you've done each one three times. Right? So you only do until 33 and then you say, La ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika la. Or you could say Allahu Akbar at the end for the 34th time. Understand? Both of that has been narrated in the sunnah. Both methods. So this is another way of alternating. Another way of alternating is sometimes you do it the traditional way that we all know. And sometimes you can change it up and say, SubhanAllah, Alhamdulillah, Allah Akbar, SubhanAllah, Alhamdulillah, Allah Akbar, SubhanAllah, Alhamdulillah, Allah Akbar, 33 times, and you end up with Allah, 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 Akbar. The best way is, chop and change, mix it up. Because it keeps you on your toes as well. You're not just saying, SubhanAllah, 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 because most people do it like that. Subhanallah, 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 Done. How much thought was given into it? How much reflection when you say subhanallah, how, how perfect is Allah freeing him from all those imperfections? How much thought is put into saying alhamdulillah, that all we, uh, why am I praising Allah? What, what, is it, what am I praising him for? How much thought is put into when I say Allahu Akbar? Those adhkar is full of hikmah. Supposed to have an effect on our hearts is not just about the 33. It's not about getting the number over with. 
You understand? Um, so the, the wisdom in chopping and changing is that it also keeps you on your toes. So it keeps you, you know, aware that I'm not just going to be saying it out. I'm actually going to think about what am I doing? How many times am I going to say it? Okay, which method am I taking? Now you're focused. You see, you got your mind on track, so you're focused. So now you can easily focus on what you're about to say. But if you're going to do it the same way every single time, becomes parrot fashion. Becomes, uh, you know, ada. That ibadah becomes ada. That worship becomes the norm that you just go, go along with. And before you know what you've done, you don't even know how many times you said it actually because you just used your fingers or used the tasbih in front of you. And that was it. And again, the sunnah is actually to use your, your right hand. Your right hand. Right? A tasbih is not recommended. Except for those who need it. That's what I would say. Except for those who, like an old person. Right? So for an old person, for example, they, they are unable to keep track. Or it's difficult for them. Then you can give them something to help them. But a normal youngster, a person who's, who's, who can focus, even an old person who can focus, they should, they should focus and stick to the sunnah as opposed to going to the tasbih and going to the, these other patterns and those, you know, those counters. The fingers are better than that. Because the Prophet used his right hand only, not the left hand, the right hand only. As we're on the topic, and we might as well cover it, how do you count? How do you count the 33? So, I think that the, in the common way here is people use the, the, what do you call these things? The so, you basically use the lines. Spaces. The spaces, it's actually the lines. <laughs> Seriously. I also used to use the, the spaces. Right? The space, that's what I'm saying. What do you call these spaces? <laughs> um, but basically, I also, when, as I, I mean, that's how I always used to do it. Right, you, you use these spaces. So these three spaces there in between the lines, right? So I mean that's how I used to do it. It is no problem in this obviously, but to try to get to the most authentic method, use the you're supposed to use the lines. Because the hadith basically mentions the word aqt. That the Prophet used to aqidu or So why is it difference of opinion? Because aqt means so many different things in Arabic. One of the things it could mean is a line. So some scholars said, no, it applies to those lines. Right? Another, I can also mean to, to, yes, to, to basically form like a fist. Not a fist, but you know, to, 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 to contract your hand. And so what some scholars do is, they, they, they just do this with their fingers. It's a bit, this one is a bit tricky. Right? Yeah, they just count five. So they each finger they just do three times like this. Subhanallah, 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 like that. Right? What other ulama do is they keep the hand open. Right? And then they or, or they keep the hand like closed, and they, then they use one finger, subhanallah, 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 Like this, three times, and then they act. Then they start to close it up again. Do you understand how it goes back to that word? So initially the hand is is is, is act, and then they open it up, then they close it once again. Right? But this year, the issue here is, and I had this discussion with Shah Abdullah when he was here, um, and he made a good point to me, because so what I said was is so what the best is to alternate, like we alternate with all of these other adkar, right? So the Sheikh said, no, this is not the same like that. Because it hasn't been narrated in different ways. It hasn't been narrated all those ways, man. That's difference in understanding. Do you understand the difference? When we say you can do a 33 and 34 and 10 and 25, 25, 25, those have all come in hadith. It's narrated in different methods. So it was practiced. It was practiced. Yeah. But this... No, this is a later difference of opinion. What's meant by that word? Yeah. So certain scholars said what's meant is you use the lines on your fingers. Certain scholars said that no, you do this. Certain scholars said you, you do this. Do you understand? Yeah. 
So it's not all being narrated. It's the same hadith, but they're different understanding. So the Sheikh said, you need to choose one way and stick to it, that you feel is the right way, and stick to it. So you don't have to alternate all the time in the way you use your fingers. If you're going to use the lines, just use the lines. Khalas. If you're going to do it like this, if you feel that's the right way, then do it that way. If you have no idea which is the stronger way, do the easiest way that you find is easiest for you, then you do it that way. You understand? So this is not an issue where you're going to chop and change because it hasn't been narrated like that. So I also initially said, well, chop and change. So the Sheikh said, no, not in this issue. Because it hasn't been, when he said it, it immediately clicked. Is what he said, which made sense to me instantly. Yes, he's actually right because it hasn't been. It hasn't been narrated like that in different ways, man. This is, this different ways came from the understanding of different ulama. And so forth. All, all of those beasts. So, Khalas will stop here. Um, and next week, inshallah, we'll complete chapter of the description of the salah. وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك أشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت استغفرك وأتوب إليك ها؟